Hi, friends. Just wanted to chime in and let you know that the audio quality of this episode is a little different than our usual brand. It was not recorded in the Love Nest. We recorded it in Park City, Utah, using a Zoom recorder. So it sounds a little different, but you can still hear everything just right. So word of warning, but uh, stay with us. with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this mini-ep, we're doing something a little different. We are recording from the Denver airport. I can't, I don't know if you can tell from the, our sound quality. Oh, and then this guy. ambiance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to do a little one-off on one issue of Gambit, volume number five, issue 11. Which was recommended to us by Apple J on Twitter. She's been our rogue and Gambit guide for our these Sherpa. last couple of episodes. Our yeah. Sherpa, Sherpa up the mount of Romy. Oh, gosh. That is one steep mount. <laughs> and uh, this, this issue is entitled Girl Trouble because Gambit, he's got some. He's got some girl troubles, yeah. I think he has an ongoing... A girl issue problem. Yeah, this is like the penultimate issue of the storyline Tombstone Blues. We did not read the entire arc. We are only talking issue 11, which makes things a little difficult for us, but we're going to give it our best college I try. I went in full wife dork style of uh, no context. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't even Google it. <laughs> Lisa, that's okay because I also went into this full wife dork style and did no background reading whatsoever. I've never read the Gambit miniseries. Uh, I do have the trade paperback. That's what we're reading from right now, the complete collection uh, from author... Um, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, because it's not on the front cover. No. Maybe it's on the spine. I mean, the art is Clay Man, and I'm a major Clay Man fan. Uh, and, of course... James... Asmus. James Asmus. I was going to say it. Asmus. Yeah, yeah. And and one of the things that attracted to me when Apple J was talking about this issue was the Clay Man art. And I dig the art in this issue, especially the way he draws Tombstone. I dig Rogue's haircut because it is not entirely unlike my haircut. Yeah, yeah. Rowdy crowd going by. Rowdy crowd. You know, we can't apologize for the background noise, Lisa. We just got to let it go. Just keep it covered. Um, Now, why are we in the Denver airport? It's because we are returning home. As you heard last week, we were at the Sundance International Film Festival. Ooh. And we had a total blast. We did. We saw a lot of amazing movies. Brad I, saw I, 31 movies. I saw 31, yes. I'm not I, I, I'm not saying that I'm better at watching movies than Brad is, but I did see 32 movies. <laughs> <You> did. <laughs> so I am 
winning. And if you are curious about our coverage of the Sundance Film Festival, you should head on over to the It Modcast podcast on Apple iTunes, uh, at It Modcast on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And we're going to do a full uh, Sundance download. We also guested on the Missing Frames podcast. Yes, which with is Sean. With Sean, which is part of the Nerd Party. Uh, we recorded that also with some ambiance at the uh, Boneyard in Park City, Utah. But, like, let's give our listeners, like, uh, a little taste of the, of Sundance. You had a blast, Lisa? I did. I had an amazing time, and I did see some movies that I think would appeal to the comic book fan. Oh, for sure, for sure. I'm going to go with a film that's... Uh, a little could be a little triggering from some, for some people. Could be a little controversial. I know that my opinion on this film has been transforming since I saw the film. Um, but it is Emerald Fennel's promising young woman. Oh yeah. So in this film, Carrie Mulligan plays a girl named Cassie, who has taken it upon herself to cure men. Of, of their lechery. So what she does is she goes to a bar, she pretends to be super drunk, waits for a guy to take her home, and then when he's ready to make his move, she scares the pants back on him. <laughs> um, it, it has a lot to do with violence against women and how there is very little recourse when it comes to a behind closed doors, he he said, she said situation. Um, It does start as a comedy, and there are elements of a romantic comedy. Uh, A stand-up comedian slash musician slash YouTuber, all grown up, Bo Burnham. Slash filmmaker. Right, he did. He wrote and directed Eighth Grade, which was a huge hit last year, was that last year? Mm at the Sundance Film Festival and outside the Sundance Film Festival. You've probably heard of it. And if you haven't, you should seek it out because if you were in eighth grade, and especially if you were an eighth grade girl, you'll way identify with that his film. But he plays the romantic interest, um, somebody who had gone to school with Cassie, but they got disconnected and he's always liked her and he's really eager to rekindle a relationship, but she has some trust issues. (laughs) She has some trust issues. um, That are well-founded. Burnham is so good, but he very much is in the romantic comedy section of this movie. Which I think is a really wonderful fit for him. But why, why, why do you think this would be a good movie for comic book fans? Well, there are some genre elements. Well, first and foremost, the beginning of the film, she is like... Batman. She's <laughs> taking it upon herself to right a wrong that society refuses to address and is confounded by and, and perpetuates. Uh-huh. Um, so every woman who goes to college is living in a, a, a Gotham where everything is against them. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, she has this identity that she takes on at night so that, so that she can rehabilitate these monsters. Um, There's one scene where um, she is about to, you know, scare another guy, um, but she gets thwarted 
on her way out um, because he knows, he recognizes her and goes like, oh my gosh, you're the woman who like was a psycho to Josh. I, I can't remember if that's the character's name. but She's um, got a reputation. But yeah, she's earned a little reputation. The Avenger is out there. Right, and she goes like, well, I'm not the only woman who does this. Mm-hmm. And the next woman you take home, and, and I'm not the only one who does this, and I'm not the only woman who does not then castrate you. Yeah. So you better watch your back when yeah. it comes to taking home inebriated uh, women that you think are defenseless. You know who I also thought about while watching this movie was Daniel Klaus comics, like Ghost World, Ice yeah. Haven, you know, th- that kind of stuff. It, that tone is very much a part The of- cooler than cool, I'm kind of on the outside because society doesn't get it. I think that's definitely true. There is like a bubblegum, fluffy pink aesthetic that I really yeah, that's true. love about this. This is... I mean, Cassie, in certain scenes, really comes across as someone who embraces their femininity, can be a bit of a girly girl, but she, but she does have this side to her. Yeah. And she is extraordinarily driven in her mission, which, which I admire. But there, there is a turn in the film that goes very, very dark and very, very sad. So... Um, but I don't think in an unfounded way, but if you feel like you might be the kind of person who is not in an emotional or mental place to handle that kind of thing, like, I wouldn't necessarily pursue this or or just go with caution. I think that the message is good, and I think it's good that the message is out there that, like, when it comes to um, a physical altercation between a man and a woman, a woman is at a disadvantage. Right. But one of the issues you had with your first watch of this film at the premiere of, at Sundance was how the audience reacted to a lot of these scenes. Yeah. What Emerald Fennell does so well with her script and through the use of tropes that you see in comedies, in frat movies, and that kind of thing, the way that she twists those against the audience where she goes like, oh, you think that it's funny when something like this happens in a frat comedy? Well, what do you think about it now in this context? And the audience was continuing to laugh as if it wasn't the most horrifying, tragic scene. And then they, um, some people treated the end of the film as a catharsis, where I really did feel like it was a de- a devastating tragedy. Yeah. So to me, to be in an audience where they're hooting and hollering and laughing at one of the saddest things I've ever seen on film um, was kind of um, troubling to me. Sure, sure. But one of the beautiful things about Sundance is they do have, if you're going, we Brad and I, because we're press, we do a lot of P&I screenings, so we don't get, we don't get this benefit all of the time, but we happen to get into a public screening. So... We had Carrie Mulligan there. We had Bo Burnham there. And most importantly, we had Emerald Fennell there to kind of guide us through where she was coming from. And I really, I really felt that her intentions were true. And I definitely believe that what she was saying was right. Where I, like, do I think I'm always going to be in the emotional state to watch something like Promising Young Woman? No. But I do think that... Um, it's a scary topic to talk about, and it's extraordinarily brave of her to approach it in this kind of tonally divisive fashion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I was like you. 
I, I enjoyed the film the first watch, but I wasn't sure how I felt about it. And then over the course of the entire 10 days, we talked about it all the time. We were constantly talking about it, and we were talking with other people about the film. And by the end of the festival, I was like, no, no, this is one of the best this films This is that one we of saw. my favorite films. Um, the film I'm going to recommend and put on people's radars that I think uh, our comic book listeners would appreciate is Possessor. Yes. Uh, from director Brandon Cronenberg, son of David Cronenberg. Uh, I'm recommending this to all our Vertigo comic fans out there. Uh, the premise is sometime in the near future, assassins have the ability to put their consciousness in another person's body unwillingly. It's a hijacking. Yeah, it's, you're, they, Andrea Riseborough is the star, and she downloads her consciousness into Christopher Abbott, hijacks his body because he has access to her targets. Now, in the process of mind jumping, like because this has happened many, many times for her, uh, reality and who she is has started to blur. And the way that Brandon Cronenberg depicts that uh, cinematically is gorgeous, ugly, terrifying, but yes, gorgeous, beautiful. It's really experimental. I loved the mix of the practical with the score mm -hmm. with the color like clearly whatever makes like there is a Cronenberg gene yeah. that just makes you flipping crazy and make <laughs> body horror that is so disturbing and so beautiful you know like I, I love, 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 love David Cronenberg, right? But his last batch of films are very different than his early wave of movies. Yeah. Possessor feels like 70s, 80s David Cronenberg. It feels like it belongs in the same filmography as Scanners and Videodrome and Rabid. Um, but it's it, still very current. It's not a no, throwback in any way. It's not a throwback way. in any way, but it, like, it just, it's, it's the way that Brandon Cronenberg fetishizes technology in this and the way that he um, really relishes the body horror. Yeah. It, you know, like Brandon and David, they are, they are creative twins, uh, even though they are father and son. Now, on the gore front, you know, like Vertigo Comics, you know, like the best of Preacher, uh, it is insanely violent. And I would be surprised that if Possessor comes to mainstream audiences, it is not seriously edited from what we saw. It was super gnarly, but I do think there is also a valuable conversation there about PTSD. Yeah. About um, surviving trauma. Andrea Riseborough does have this deep desire to lead a normal life, be with her husband, be a, a good parent. But because of what she's gone through and going to where she feels that she is of value, she finds herself continuing to go back, um, go back to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. That's like a little taste of what we saw at uh, Sundance. Again, uh, head on over to It Modcast and be on the lookout for our full Sundance recap. The easiest recap. way is to just follow the It Modcast on Twitter. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like, this is our second Sundance. I feel like this year, even though we saw less movies, I saw more good movies or yeah. even more great movies. And both Possessor and Promising Young Woman, uh, like, I think are 
are, are better than most of the films that we saw at Sundance last year. So this was a really thrilling uh, experience. And to continue the plug, Lisa and I spoke to uh, a whole bunch of filmmakers and actors, again, at It Modcast. Bo Burnham will be on the podcast. We, we had a conversation with him. We talked to Eliza Hitman about Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Another beautiful film. We talked to Nat Faxon and Jim Rash uh, about Downhill. Uh, we talked to uh, Michael uh, Al- Almierda. I can never say his name. Almerida. Almerida about Tesla, yeah. uh, which is another favorite of mine. Jim Gaffigan's in that conversation. So we really like are bringing home a lot of content with us uh, from Sundance. So I'm, I'm just I'm just really proud of us, Lisa. I'm yeah, really proud of us. we nailed it. And, I, you know, I want our comic book listeners to jump on over to It Modcast and listen to some of those chats. Uh, but, okay, look, uh, we're in the middle of our month-long, month-plus-long conversation on Rogue month and Month with Gambit. a detour. Month with a detour. Uh, last week, we talked a little bit about them through the lens of X-Men uh, number 30, the Scott and Gene wedding issue. Our first episode on this series uh, revolved around the early 90s, Chris Claremont, Fabian Nietzsche, Scott Lobdell, Jim Lee comics, Andy Kubert. Um, and then next week, we're going to get into the Howard Mackey miniseries. But here's just like, we, did, we, we just didn't want to go too long without talking about Rogue and Gambit. So we're sp- talking specifically about Gambit, volume five, number 11, Girl Troubles. How about that opening issue, or that opening scene, Lisa? Well, um, apparently the last issue ended with Rogue. She's been tracking Gambit, and she finds him in a snowdrift <laughs> um, entwined with another woman. But they are broken up at this point. Yes, yes. She has no claims over him as a sexual being, but yep. I'm sh- I'm sure she's A lot has disgusted. happened since th- are the last stories that we talked about, right? So Rogue seems to have more um, control over her abilities. She's now an Avenger and an uncanny Avenger. And Rogue and Gambit were hot and heavy, but now they are busted. They are. And apparently, I have not read the upcoming issues, but it seems that they that Joelle, the, that's the other woman, and Gambit, are developing like a romantic relationship. Well, this is not a one-off in a in in a in I the mean, snow. I mean, they they have had sex. Rogue has come up to yeah, them more than once, though. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's kind of sweet that even though they're in the snow, they can still fall asleep. Well, Lisa certainly could. <laughs> I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lisa would never get down to the snow. No, uh, thank you. I, yeah. I like to keep it warm. There was no hanky-panky in Park City. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. So immediately, um, Joelle attacks Rogue because... She and Gambit are on the run. And she thinks that Rogue is one of Tombstone's Amazons. And again, I just want to say, like, Tombstone, he's usually like a Spider-Man villain. Mm -hmm. But I love him in this context. And again, the way Clay Man draws him is very, very creepy. And I guess they've stolen some sort of, like, magic juice from Tombstone's lab. Yeah, well, apparently Joelle has a daughter who is in need of whatever whatever this compound is. Which may or may not be a doomsday weapon. Yeah, and may or may not be true. Do we trust this Joelle lady? I, I, I don't. I don't. Um, but Gambit 
awakes to these two hot women <laughs> uh, tumbling in the snow. And uh, he doesn't necessarily stop them right away. Dude. And his excuse was, <laughs> I sort of thought I was still dreaming. <laughs> and I wanted to see if things played out like I thought they would. So even though it's many years after the 90s, he's still the... Uh, you know, sex hound that he was then. But now he is a, a heartbroken sex hound because yeah. deep down inside we know he really wants Rogue and he's just using other women to fill a void. Yeah. What do we think? What do we think about that? I mean, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like I like uh, Joelle's dig, though, on Rogue's hair. Nice hair. What do you... What, did you see part of a ghost? <laughs> that is one sick burn. Um, so you can describe this little moment. So Rogue starts getting after Gambit, who is still shirtless, by the way, about the trouble he's been getting into. Well, okay. So, you know, she is... She's been following what Gambit's been going on. You know, she, she's she, been tracking him. She's been tracking him with the Avengers. He hasn't been hanging out with the X-Men. He's been doing his own solo book thing, right? Uh, and she's, you know, she's like, look, you know, people are nervous. We don't like you operating on your own and getting up into shenanigans with Tombstone. Um, you know, she says, you know, you know, you said... Uh, this is Rogue speaking to Gambit. You said the only way I wouldn't hear from you these last 24 hours was if you were a dead man. But you seemed pretty lively when I came in. Again, they were boning. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Joel immediately interrupts and says, Hi, I'm Joel. And Ro Gambit's like, What? You're just going to tell Rogue your name because you wouldn't tell me my name? And then Rogue's like, Hold on. You slept with this woman without knowing her name? He's like, well, no, no, no. I, I eventually knew her name before we slept with each other. Yeah, but I, he had just forgotten. Yeah, yeah, but he had just forgotten. So, you know, he's a lech. Yeah. Um, I also think that uh, Rogue is hurt, is deeply hurt, because even though they're not in a romantic relationship before, they do have this connection, and she feels entitled to know that he is safe. You get the impression that since their breakup, Rogue has been doing a lot of uh, soul searching, uh, looking inward, trying to figure out what she wants in life, what she wants from a romantic life, but she's been doing it alone. Whereas Gambit, the moment, uh, or maybe not even the moment that they broke up, but he's much more happier to explore inward uh, of himself and other women. <laughs> well, they talk about that on the very next page where he's like, well, I didn't, like, I get the impression that that Gambit was not the one who wanted to break up, that it was Rogue. Rogue. Yeah. And, sh and he's like, you know, like, he tries to go like, don't worry, this woman that I just had relationships with doesn't mean anything to me, which men in literature seem to think is like a comforting idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, like, and she goes, like, we're not communicating anymore. And the reason I broke up was because I needed to be alone. Like, I'm not out there sleeping with other people, which to me, I think is a false equivalency, especially because, what do you mean? like, I don't think that it's fair for Rogue to have the expectation that the way that she soul searches is in solitude 
And she shouldn't expect that out of Gambit because it wasn't how he was before she met him. I think it's arrogant to think that she has the kind of influence to change that what seems to be a pretty essential part of his character. And essential part of his character being... Uh, a person who wants to connect sexually with lots of people. Yeah. You know, and so, like, to me, I think that for her to get mad about that is, like, I understand it, but at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily fair to him. I mean, they are very different people, you know, and that is what we are attracted to, you know, that, that they are a couple that should not work in a lot of ways and are currently not working in a lot of ways. But because they were established as this will they, won't they, as we saw in the 90s X-Men comics, um, that's that's the mode that we like them in as an audience. Yeah. Um, she does turn the conversation to, like, I am ultimately concerned about your safety and not just that you're using rubbers. She doesn't say that, but I, I'm inferring that. Um, but she's like, you know, when we were, when I didn't know that she was your uh, special someone, I took my glove off. I tried to do the sucky sucky on her powers and it didn't work. So like, what do you know about this person? Yeah, she's not a normal person. Right, right. Uh, and even by uh, a world of non-normals, she's not normal. Right. I love this next action scene, though, Lisa. Okay, you talk about it. So, you know, Joel, uh, like we said, on the run, and then Tombstone's goons show up, right? And, uh, uh, you know, they've put, they've put Joel up into the uh, Avengers Quinjet, and that's when the goons show up, and they assume that Rogue is one, uh, is Joel. Right. And they open fire. And in fact, like the first goons, like, look, I'm going to be up front with you. Um, we're going to kill you no matter what you do. So you can surrender or fight, but we're going to murder your ass. And Rogue, uh, or actually Gambit, offers a little bit of his own kinetic mutant abilities. Hey, you can enjoy some of my superpowers and we can fight these two together. And she says, well, since you're offering Remy, I'll go ahead and do that. And she takes some of that Gambit kinetic power. He even splits up his deck of cards with her. Right, and which then, costs him later, so it's an extraordinarily oh, generous oh, thing to do. that is true, that is true. And then you turn the page, and the best page of the entire issue, and Clayman kills it, is Rogue and Gambit fighting together, both throwing, flinging the kinetic uh, poker cards. I know. I, I think it's kind of sweet of her to take on the cards because it is his signature and what a lame signature it is. No, that's a... <laughs> she has way cooler powers than well, slinging cards. Y- yes, I mean, I agree that Rogue uh, has better powers, but uh, I, I, I think I think Rogue's... I think Gambit's card deck is really cool too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that image, though, you can't deny like how cool yeah, that image gorgeous. is. Do you know, this? Like what she's wearing would make a great and easy cosplay because yeah. she's got the brown bomber jacket, she's got the... Um, the gold onesie, gold green onesie with the gloves. I think that this would be a fun and easy cosplay to do. And all I'd have to do is dye the front of my hair. Yeah. Uh, I'm not dressing in this Gambit leotard, though. Oh, come on, Brad. That's not going to happen. you got to be game. He's got some cool shoulder shoulder, uh, Knee knee pads. But anyway... I love this splash page because they're back at it. They're together. They're fighting. And they are enjoying each other's company. They're enjoying each other's company. And this feels like a very classic 90s moment post X-Men number 30. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, you can't trust that Joelle. Well, they lose sight of her. 
Like, they get so into fighting together. They lose sight of her, and um, she goes up into this ship, and Roko's like, you know that that's an Avengers, that's an Avengers ship. That yeah. is this. And she stole it. Yeah. And off she goes, mm-hmm. and leaving Gambit and Rogue by themselves. And what's interesting is this entire issue, you've been getting no uh, interior... Um, dialogue or monologue from Gambit and suddenly uh, on this page when Joel flies off the book reinstates the captions yeah. Gambit's captions and you know his captions are like just like that it all goes to hell at once and then for the rest of the issue it's all captions yeah. and I was a little disoriented by that oh really? yeah I mean I'm sure you loved it because you're a big captioned person I like to know what's going on yeah. inside a person's head uh, but, but the, what those captions do is it reminds you hey Brad hey Lisa you're reading a Gambit solo book and he is having an internal story. Yeah, yeah. So they fight off the goons, and, uh, th- you know. Oh, I like this, that he charges a snowball. That's super cool. You're saying that it's lame, Lisa, but look at that. He can make even snow I know, a, like, a so why is he carrying cards around? Because that's his gimmick. Everyone needs a gimmick, Lisa. Uh, but, yeah, so they take care of the goons, and they, they steal their helicopter. They had their Quinjet stolen from them, so they steal the helicopter. Is there anything you want to talk about from this page uh, while uh, Joel has fled and Gambit and Rogue are downloading before they uh, go on to the next issue? I don't really think so. We only have, like, one more page with them together. And um, so, like, so um, Rogue is going, like, well, how... like, you just have to tell me, like, how did you get involved with this? And um, he says, like, um, she has some place to be. She has serious business. And she's like, well, that's all well and good. But, like, that jet isn't some consolation prize. So unless you know how she got that jet and how she's involved with that jet, like, everything you've done up to this point was, like, you... You were not seeing you, the forest for the trees. She's saying you're a puppet. Yeah. You know, he, he, he's a pawn in her game. He has no idea what's actually going on, but... He goes like, well, you know, we, we stole... He says, it's not like we stole pennies from poppers. We just took a dose of something to save a girl's life. Right. And that is the story that he believes and trusts. And then she goes like, well, you know what? Uh, that's a doomsday weapon. And so I don't know how you're planning... She's planning on using this... It'll be interesting. Like, but, like, when we see her, the daughter, when we turn the page, she looks like an old woman. Mm-hmm. So she has some kind of crazy something. So that's it. That's all we know about uh, Gambit and Rogue as seen through the perspective of issue number 11. Can oh, you... is it, she getting her throat slit? Yeah. The, it, Joelle, it ends with Joelle getting her throat slit. Maybe she's not as bad as I thought she was. Well, I, Tombstone I have no certainly context. likes her. But that's, a, but that's the thing. We've only read an issue out of totally out of context. So can, we probably got all the details wrong. Can, can you see why Apple J would have suggested this issue out of uh, other issues? I think that... Like, clearly in this issue, the relationship between Gambit and Rogue is still being worked out. Mm-hmm. And I think at, at this point in time, it, I know that they ultimately get married. I think if at this point in time, 
the best thing could be going either way. Mm. Like them going, like, clearly we have a thing. We are not at the end of that thing. We need to go back and explore what that is. Or Rogue has just got to back off. Like, this is Gambit making his own decisions, creating his own danger, and just let... He's a grown man. He's a dumb grown man, but he's a grown man, and he has to take responsibility for himself. He's not your responsibility right now or maybe anymore. So my big takeaway from this issue was that I felt like James Asmus and where we are in uh, sequential art and comics and superhero comics uh, of this era, which is like the mid-aughts, or actually it's 2012, um, it's so far advanced just narratively than where we were in the Claremont uh, Fabianitier era mm-hmm. that we had just finished talking about that this is a much more enjoyable take on the will they, won't they romance. So even though they are broken up, the dynamic is still very similar to what we read in those early uh, adjectiveless X Men comics. And I just enjoy this experience a little bit more as it's written. I don't know if I necessarily enjoy it more or less. Um, I enjoyed reading it, but so little happens in it. Like, what transpired in this one issue, like, in real time, was maybe 45 minutes? Yeah, at most. At most. Like, it's... I I can't imagine getting to read one part of the story a month and having an issue where literally hardly anything happens. Uh, I mean, the it's, story a, did not. it's a big deal Rogue coming into this book. This yeah. is the first time she appears in this solo series. Uh, it's a big deal to have them bump heads after their breakup uh, and still see that little chemistry there and still give the reader that splash page of them fighting back to back uh, and going like, yeah, this is what I want. This is the good book I want. Why can't I have this? And then being denied it, you know, two issues later. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not fair really for us to even comment on the quality of this comic because we only read one issue uh, out of an entire arc. So we really have no idea what's going on. And the listener who's who, who's tuning into this episode because we're talking specifically about this issue is probably enraged and infuriated <laughs> and disgusted. Oops! But that's what we're doing because we're on the road, guys. Give us a break. Um, and they can listen to our previous Rock and Gambit yeah. Um, episodes. And when we get back into it with the Howard Mackey miniseries, it's a much more in-depth conversation. Yeah. I'm getting a little too defensively so. Yeah, stop that. <laughs> um, so, we like to include in our episodes a little guidance from our love gurus. And our love guru for Rogan Gambit is John and... Let me look. Oh, the Gottmans. Yeah, John and Julie Schwartz Gottman and their books, Eight Dates... Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. So in this particular book, um, the Gottman suggests little conversation topics that can help you grow cro- closer to a partner or perhaps if you're in the dating process, kind of get to know someone even better so you can decide whether or not um, they are long-term lifetime material or if you're already long-term lifetime material like me and Brett, then just kind of getting a little closer. What are you looking for, sweetheart? I was just looking for my phone. Oh. I wanted to know what time it was. Oh, okay. Um, it's 7.01. That's not true. That's not because true. Because my, yeah. my iPad is not on the internet. D- don't worry about it, Lisa. Keep going. Okay. So I decided for this particular episode, I would take from... Where is it? Ch- uh, date two, 
which is entitled Agree to Disagree Addressing Conflict. So for each date, he includes like a little topic and then some open-ended questions. And this particular chapter actually involved an exercise entitled We All Have Issues. And he has a list of a bunch of different topics that a couple might have some issues with. And um, so we picked two issues that are issues for me and Brad, and then we picked one issue that, or two issues that might be issues for Rogue and Gambit. So let's talk about ourselves first. All right. So one difference we have is differences in punctuality. <laughs> um, it's not an issue where one of us is constantly running late and one of us is constantly running early. But it is, I like to be on time slash a little early, and Brad likes to be ridiculously early, <laughs> especially when it comes to being at the airport. Oh, you don't say. So Brad likes to be two plus hours early for domestic flights. I, I, and if he can stretch it to being three hours early, <laughs> He does. So, for example, now today is a little bit different because we did have some weather issues. A snowmageddon. Um, but we were staying at a hotel that was seven minutes away from the airport. Uh, yes. Um, and so Brad said that we had to get up at 6.30 a.m. Uh-huh. So that we could leave at 8 a.m. Uh-huh. Which we did. Which we did for our what turned out to be an 11. Oh, hold on, no, 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 no. The, 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 the original time was 10.45. Yeah. And so the plan was to leave. I left at 8 because, you know, it was a snowstorm. Yeah. Uh, and so we got there in about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So we got there about 8.15 for 10.45, which then had a two-hour delay. Yeah, and so... And so I left at 1 p.m. Now... Brad loves being at the airport. I, I do. I personally do not like it because flying is something that I don't like to do. Right. And so extending the experience by being at the airport is not is not fun for me. Um, so um, one of the open-ended questions in dealing with this issue is... Um, what is a story of how this issue is important to you? So, Brad, do you have, like, maybe a reason, like, a negative experience that made you go, and I'll never be um, late for the airport again? Or... I, uh, I don't know if I have necessarily a specific experience. I hate the stress of having to be there, like, having to rush. You want to get that that yeah. part of the process over with. I would rather just with. get to the airport, sit, wait, read a comic book, than uh, kill time back at our hotel room waiting to go to the airport. Yeah. Because security can be crazy, weather can be crazy. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. Is there a specific, like, memory where everything went, you know, tits up? No. <laughs> uh, not really. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, but, I, I, like, I do have to admit that 
I love being at the airport. I love seeing all the people in transit. I love going to the bookstores. I love going and getting a Dunkin' Donut or a Cinnabon. Um, that, that's one of my pleasures. Like, that's part of the traveling that I really enjoy. And I do recognize that all those things that I like, you kind of detest. Uh, well, I, like, I don't like the feeling of waiting because being on a plane um, is something that I really don't enjoy. And um, so as Brad is waxing poetic about the beauty of the airport, I'm going like, well, to me, I feel like I'm in the shittiest mall (laughs) (laughs) right before getting some kind of medical procedure that makes me so uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, I don't know if there's necessarily any kind of resolution to that. I mean, I think that we can maybe agree on a shorter time maybe I could like compromise to an hour and 50 minutes before (laughs) yeah I mean we've never we've never been late and I definitely don't want to be late we've never missed a flight we've never missed a flight um but maybe I'm just being a baby about (laughs) this um because I can't like Brad's like oh I love to get a coffee and read a comic and I can try to read, or I can and try to enjoy a coffee, but really I'm just, I'm just, um, I'm just anxious. Yeah. Which isn't fun. Um, let's do a Rogan Gambit issue. All right, let's hear it. So, um, I think here is one of the ones I've highlighted. This isn't one we do- talked about. Um, ahead of time but I do think that in this particular issue they have um, issue number three which is differences in doing tasks and getting things done and I think um, this plays out in the idea of like Rogue sees Gambit throwing himself fully into this task of helping this woman where she feels like he hasn't done the legwork of really figuring out who she is and whether her issues are legitimate or her intentions are entirely, or if she's going about it the right way, you mm-hmm. know? And, and now he's involved himself perhaps with something way bigger than he anticipated because of that difference in their approach. Yeah. She tends to be more cautious yeah. where he depends to be more I, gung-ho. I, I, you know, this is a moment we did not focus on when we were just talking about it, but there is like a, a really significant moment in this comic. Yeah. Uh, and it comes before Tombstone's goons show up uh, after Joel's gone up into the Quinjet and she's observing Rogan Gambit. And Gambit says, you know, if you don't know why your powers didn't work, how so, how are you so sure uh, that it's on her? And she says, Remy, because um, I don't want to see you drive yourself off a cliff if I can stop you. Right. Right. And he says, well, then, you know where I'm at with Joel. It's the same thing. And she gets pissed. She goes, yeah. really? Remy, so you going through all of this because you love her? Right. Like she gets super mad. Right. You know, because he may be implied that he had real feelings for this girl. Right. Which he then negates. Yes. Yeah. He immediately negates. And not only does he negate uh, or 
or uh, stumble on, but that's when Tombstone's goons show up. And he's like, every time me and you are trying to have a conversation, yeah. somebody comes and interrupts Well, him. I mean, I think he contradicted himself earlier when he was telling Rogue, like, she, this woman doesn't really mean that much to me. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So even though we know from just a, a casual flip through yeah. that they've had multiple sexual encounters. Not that that has to be... Love or anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's do another one of our issues. So this is another one that comes... Like, this is uh, just, I guess, stories and Lisa being crotchety. Maybe I had, like, today, right before recording... Um, I had a major anxiety issue on this plane. Yeah. So if I seem a little bit <laughs> on edge or anything, it's because I've cried publicly today. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so uh, if I if I seem a little negative, that's some realness. You, you don't, a, Lisa. I cried on now, a plane. Now you're being defensive. I, I made people I made people uncomfortable. I mean, our <laughs> plane from Salt Lake City to Denver had some of the worst turbulence I've ever experienced in my life and it freaked you out. It did. It did. It freaked me out and I, so I decided to invite everybody into yeah. my freak out. And, and by stewardesses being... have no interest in, in helping anybody, you know, like uh, feel better about their freak out. Uh, I think that they were in their own way. I think while the freak out was happening, they're like, I don't know what to do. But then I was like, as I was leaving, I had to deal with women going like, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. What's wrong? And, and I'm like, I just want to get off this goddamn <laughs> tube. And the, like, you you did a very bad job of driving this through the sky, and <laughs> and um, you uh, waved all right to talk to me. Anyway, so number seventeen is differences in socializing. So Brad That's is true. Brad is an extrovert, and he like we we've talked about this when we talk about Comic Con, um, any kind of convention festival experience. Brad loves being in line and it's talking to the people. the same reason why I love being at the airport, Lisa, amongst the people. He loves it. And I do, too. I think um, this Sundance, Sundance number two, I think I've really made personal progress in um, networking. I think that I've made fairly valuable connections. You made two at least really cool contacts that I'm jealous about. Yeah, Maybe I shouldn't say this publicly. I think Don't it's partly because I'm a lady. Oh, oh, yeah. I, you know. I'm not going to say what the, the contacts were, <laughs> but I like I know that like one of the reasons people approach me is because I'm a lady at a <laughs> at a at a film festival who looks alone sometimes. <laughs> um, but whatever, I shouldn't whatever that. But anyway, they they seem to all to be decent people. You made contacts. I did. I did. I'm just saying. Then maybe if you were. Uh, you were a hot lady. Maybe yeah, people maybe, would, maybe, maybe. Who knows? Um, but there is a, a point where I hit a wall when it comes to talking to every single person. Like, the great thing about Sundance is at least I'm not, like, searching for stuff to talk about because everybody is there. They're seeing this more or less the same pool of movies. Um, there's a lot of fun co- talking about, hey, what did you see? What did you like about that movie? This is what I saw. This is what... And there's a lot of rehearsal. Yeah. Like, for, like... Other conversations. So I'm like, ah, oh, I have... I can go back to the well where I was talking about how much I love the movie Minari, which I did. Um, so th- so that's valuable. But there there is a time where I need to stop and I need to withdraw and look at my phone. And... Um, and on my phone, I'm playing a game compulsively called Diner Dash. <laughs> and um, I have ver- I have tables to wait. Yeah. Uh, I have gems to collect. But, but the point is, 
you know, even though you did a great job at this festival doing a lot of networking, that is tremendously hard for you, and often you don't even like doing it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm actively is, hating myself yeah, while I'm doing and, it. And, and it is a skill that you've been working on, whereas, again, I, I love doing it. And so we do have a difference, and sometimes we have to make sure that our communication is open so that I'm not just leaving Lisa drowning at a party somewhere. Yeah. Um, I think um, it's nice. Like, I, I felt like you, this particular trip, you were very, very, being pretty sensitive to, like, hey, Lisa's looking at her phone, so I don't necessarily need to invite her into this particular conversation that... I'm having and that's like a change I noticed in you that I really appreciate and I don't want to depend on it all of the time because I know that I I need to put myself out there and uh, like it is ultimately good but I also appreciate like you going like okay Lisa's giving the universal don't talk to me (laughs) signal and so I I'm just not going to invite her into the conversation I'm going to let her have a bit of a break so I really appreciate that yeah um, let's do one more uh, Gambit and Rogue situation, right. and then we can we can put a button on this sweet little mini app. It's not that many. We're at 50 minutes. Oh, I can't shut up. <laughs> um, so I think that uh, there's differences in fidelity. That's issue number oh, 24 yeah. between Rogue and Gambit. And I think um, that is um, a difference in worldview that they will never necessarily see eye to eye. And they both have... I mean, they both have personal histories where Gambit has had a very exciting life, having relationships with many exciting, powerful women that he admires. And that's just part of who he is. Rogue is coming from a place of trauma because of her particular power. It is a power and it is something that has added to her life. But early talking about Cody she's had some trauma attached to it she has um, some limitations she set on herself and she might just feel different about this sure where she likes to keep her she does she likes to keep her sexual partners to people she knows very closely she's very intimate with and there is a her boundaries are much stronger than his and um to me, I think that, like, that's going to be something that they have to agree when they're together. Like, she has an expectation of monogamy. I don't, I think for Gambit, I don't think that's too high of a bar for him. I think that he is capable of mon- monogamy if that is something that he wants. Mm. Um, she's still going to have to deal with him being a flirty flirt. I'm really excited to get into the Kelly Thompson books, the, the Rogue and Gambit miniseries that she's done, as well as Mr. and Mrs. X. Like, uh, this book has gotten me pumped and primed for those stories. Absolutely. I want to see how she learns to handle his flirtatiousness because if we go back to that wedding issue... Um, that we talked about on the last episode, like, at the wedding, he is ostensibly going with Rogue. Rogue is her date, but then as Storm is walking down the aisle, he's like, hachi machi, work (laughs) it, Storm. Um, Where, like, I, I can see, like, I know that if you were doing that at a wedding, I would feel disrespected because I would be like, 
you know, that's not particularly considerate of Rogue's feelings. Yeah, you came here with me. Exactly. But Gambit doesn't really necessarily mean it in that way. He doesn't, when he's complimenting one woman, he's not necessarily diminishing all other women. Sure, but uh, he he doesn't really understand what's going on inside Rogue's head at that time. I think that's definitely true. Yeah. I, I, I do think that in every relationship there's kind of like a like what Dan Savage calls a price of admission where like for you like my anxiety disorder is kind of like a price of admission <laughs> like sure. if you can't handle me at times being antisocial at times having public panic attacks that could be alarming <laughs> like then we're not like, we would not be able to work as a couple. I think, um, what's a price of admission for you? Um, a price of admission is you have to be want to be surrounded in comic books, which I do, <laughs> so it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to clean up uh, the love nest uh, for anybody. Yeah. Um, the 40-year-old virgin was a trigger- triggering movie for Brad because the climax of the movie was him selling all of his collectibles for this woman. Accurate. I hate that movie. I hate that, too. And, I, like, to me, I think that it... Like, it makes women look terrible. The idea of, like, you have to change who you are to be with me. I definitely, I, I love who Brad is. I wouldn't change one thing Thank about God. him. <laughs> and, like, and I think that the, the idea of a man cave is disgusting. Like, the fact that, okay, well, the woman gets to decorate the house and the man has to keep all of his entrance hidden in one room. I think that, that's gross. Yeah. I, it's a, we live in a dork cave, yeah. and it's hey, for everybody. If it works for you guys, that's fine, but that's not how it goes with Lisa and myself. Yeah. Uh, all right, yeah, yeah. Anything else we want to say before we move on and get out of here? Um, is there anything from this conversation or this particular issue that, that you have learned and you want to take out into, into uh, our relationship? Uh, or? Uh, honestly, like, I, I'm still very... Uh, Taking it out into my relationship, no. I don't really have anything based off of Gambit 11. Uh, what, what I'm taking away from this is how they've updated the will they, won't they for the 2012 audience uh, and where that story can go forward. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I am focused on, and that's what I appreciated about this issue. Uh, I am going to read the rest of this storyline when we get on this plane going from Denver to Dulles. Uh, I want to read the rest of this arc. I wish I had done that on the previous flight for you guys, but I didn't. Um, But I've kind of also enjoyed this, like, ridiculous what the hell is going on there (laughs) conversation. Uh, I hope you have as well. Um, Um, What about you? I've always taken the stance of when a couple breaks up, you do, for a, a certain amount of time, need to disentwine your lives. I definitely agree with that. And I think that um, Rogue is dealing with wanting to stay partially responsible for his well-being, where he's not really inviting her to do that. He's yeah. He started his own book, for God's sakes, <laughs> to which she is barely invited. Um, so for her to... Like, I, I feel sorry for her, for her to put that kind of emotional investment into someone who's saying like more or less like it's it's not it's not really welcome so to me i think that if i was giving advice to rogue i would say like i know that it is hard 
but this is a time where you need to focus on yourself and focus on the idea of a life without gambit because by separating that is your thesis your thesis is we shouldn't be together so why not do that experiment that experiment of you not being together and if you discover at the end of that experiment I don't want to disentwine from this person. I want this person in my life, then you pursue it. But you do have to give yourself some time. Well, she gets two issues, and then she goes back to the Uncanny Avengers, Lisa. But, like, theoretically, the entire time he's been with this Joelle woman, uh, Roke has been looking for him. Yeah. You know, so, like, there is a whole separate book, like, (laughs) of Roke going, like, where the F is Gambit? You know? Yeah, yeah, interesting. That's true. That's true. Uh, okay, okay. So that ends this special Denver episode. Uh, I'm still going to call it a mini app, even though it's regular length. <laughs> where where can our listeners uh, send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. If you want to see my movie review, uh, little star ratings from the Sundance Film Festival. Um, don't forget, you can contact us via the emails at cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can suggest um, couples. You can ask for relationship advice. You can correct everything we said in this episode. We will accept it with grace as long as it's given respectfully and kindly because we know that I am delicate. <laughs> Brad, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. Again, you know, like, subscribe, all that jazz. Uh, write us a review. A five-star review on iTunes would be much oh, appreciated. Man. That would make our day. It really, really would. We like our words of affirmation, as you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, be on the lookout next week. We're going to be back in the Love Nest in Virginia. We're going to have a regular episode focusing on Rogan Gambit as seen through the 90s uh, miniseries Gambit and the 90s miniseries Rogue, written by Howard Mackey. Uh, I'm already done with uh, both of those. I had a thoroughly good time um, reading them. Uh, we'll be going back in time to the... Uh, era where they are fully entrenched in the dating life. So that's kind of fun to be there. Uh, and then we're going to close out a week after that with the Kelly Thompson stories. So excited. So excited. So excited. So uh, until next time, guys, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.